welcome to Crew Talk brought to you by Shoots.video. So today we have a big house. We are talking indie movie distribution. And so I'm going to go around and have everyone kind of say their name, what they do, and where they're located. Um, I'm your host, Sarah, as always, and we have Justin as well. Hi, Justin. Hey, how you doing today? <laughs> Great. So I'm going to start with Ben. Ben, hello. Why don't you go ahead, introduce yourself, what you do, and where you are. Hey, uh, my name's Ben Yenny. I am currently the CEO and lead of acquisitions at Mutiny Pictures, but I'm probably still best known as a producer's rep. And I currently live in Philadelphia. Very cool. Very. I'm from PA as well, Pittsburgh. So Pennsylvania, hello. <laughs> Hunter, hello. Hi there. Uh, so my name is Hunter Lee Hughes. I'm a filmmaker, and uh, I had a feature film distributed through Gravitas Ventures, and so I got some experience with distribution that way. And I did start out my career as a freelance story analyst with Paramount Classics, which later became Paramount Vantage. So I did see a little bit from the perspective of like a, a company that did development and also uh, distribution. Very cool. Well, welcome, Thanks, Jenica. Sam. Hi, I'm Jenica Schwartzman, and I'm a partner of Little Sister Entertainment, which is a indie film distribution and small press publishing house. And um, I'm also a producer, and my partner at Little Sister is also a producer, um, and we make films, so that's why we started a distribution company, and I'm in Hollywood, California. Very cool. Is your partner your little sister? <laughs> no, I'm his little sister. <laughs> You're his little sister. Okay, so it's a little sister in there somewhere. Very cool. I love the name. Very cool. Well, welcome. <laughs> Daniel. You. Hi there. I'm Daniel Dwork. I am currently working with an animation studio in China called uh, Fanta Wild. And I'm, I've produced films. I've been a producer's rep. I'm the producer's rep that got the deal on Gravitas for Hunter. Um, so that's why I'm here. He invited me over. Awesome. Very cool. Well, welcome. And where are you located? Ah, Hollywood, California, too. Wonderful. Very cool. Well, welcome, Mark. Hey, guys. Mark Levinoff. I'm the managing partner of Odyssey Motion Pictures based in L.A. Uh, my longtime producing partner is Louis Mandalore. We started, we've been producing movies for years, and uh, about 10 years ago, we started our own sales agency. So we sell direct to, I don't know, 100-plus countries all over the world. Uh, we produce two to three films a year ourselves, and uh, excited to be here. We're excited to have you. Thank you. And hello, Glenn. Hey there. I made it, Nick, of time. You, made you it. did it. Perfect. <clears throat> so, I, hi, I'm Glenn Reynolds of Circus Road Films. I'm also a producer rep. Um, I've worked with several of the people in, in the cast here. Um, uh, some marked just recently, and Jenica and Justin a few times, and Ben a couple times. So, excited to be with Nick in good company here. <laughs> Wonderful. And where are you located? I'm in Studio City in Los Angeles. Very fun. Well, welcome everyone. We are very excited to have you. We have some questions here and um, I'm gonna ask the questions and I'll kind of call on you all to answer and then you all can jump in as usual. Um, and then towards the end, we're gonna take some audience questions. So uh, for our viewers today, if you have questions, throw them in the chat box and we'll ask those a little later and stick around because we do have a fun giveaway as always. All right, so I'm gonna start with Mark. So Mark, how is distribution in 2021 different than it has ever been? How do you think it's going to be? Uh, 
Well, I don't think it's just limited to 2021. Distribution's been evolving very rapidly for the last few years as everything's gone digitally. Uh, you know, back in the day, everything came down to shelf space. You know, the cream rose to the top, the best shelves, uh, the best films ended up on the shelves and there was kind of a clear path. It was about getting your film on the shelf. Now, because everything's digital, the shelf is in the cloud, so there's room for everything. So instead of getting your film on the shelf, it's more about making your film stand out. In terms of 2021 and how COVID's affected everything, um, you know, it's, uh, well, I'll be quick and I'll say it's twofold. First and foremost, distributors are tripping over themselves to an extent right now. They have big holes in their release schedules uh, because there's been a lack of production. So it's a good time to have a finished piece of content. On the other hand, you know, because of kind of the rocky nature of, of what's going on right now, people are less uh, likely to part with cash at the moment. So, so it's becoming more volume driven. It's becoming more about back end as opposed to upfront money, uh, which is challenging, not just for content creators, but for distributors as well um, and sales agents. So yeah, I mean, it's, it's rapidly evolving. What I will say is that AVOD is definitely emerging as kind of the mainstay in independent distribution. So, uh, you know, I'm sure we'll talk more about that. As what is what is AVOD stand for? AVOD is, well, there's three different uh, uh, major types of video on demand. There's transactional TVOD, subscription-based like Amazon Prime, and then there's ad-based like Tubi TV, for example, or YouTube would even be an example of AVOD. But, yeah. um, you know, as the dust settles in the digital world, I think, and I'm sure most a lot of people on the panel have plenty to contribute to this, but AVOD seems to really be emerging as like the mainstay for independent filmmakers. There's a bigger chance to make more money per view on AVOD than there are on the other ones, it seems. Uh, correct, depends on the platform, but yeah, for right now, definitely. <clears throat> yeah, cool. Does anyone have anything else they wanna add on to that? We moving along. Mark, you kind of covered it all. All right. Good. <laughs> uh, oh, ben, ben, go ahead. Yeah. Uh, the only other thing I'd add about distribution and in general is that it is wise to not be thinking about the film itself as the only product you're pitching when you're working on getting your film distributed. You should be thinking more about building a brand and other ways you can monetize that are outside of traditional distribution. Um, yeah, I'll get a, I'll get a quick plug here. Talk to Jenica. So, uh, we're currently distributing a movie break madness that I've been making with her and other people for the last 11 years is finally out. But anyway, Jenica, I know that we're pursuing other, uh, revenue streams. We're trying to do other things with the movie, with the property and get money out of it. What else are we talking about? Possibly. Yeah, I think exactly what Ben is like bringing up is the, you want to take your intellectual property and you want to be able to expand it. When we started our company, Little Sister, the idea is that we weren't just going to take one-off films. They just weren't going to be an option. We wanted to look at something like Brick Madness and go, well, I think that would be a really cool young adult series. Or I think that would be a really cool board game, like a family card game. Well, I think like the different areas that you can take that in and um, make sure that it's a filmmaker that is interested in expanding the IP, is interested in not just that one, you know, franchising like ability, but a filmmaker brand of somebody who wants to continue to bring IP to the table in movies that are not one-offs because you wanna be able to click on the director and see all of their stuff and you wanna be able to trust what that means because Christopher Nolan is a Christopher Nolan movie 
we want that. Like it's just as exciting as I can see George Clooney's face. I want to see in the indie world a lot more of that in happening in house, and it's starting to because that's the big change that we're seeing. Nice. Yeah, totally. Can I add something to the absolutely? absolutely. This, yeah. yeah uh, so I first of all, I just want to thank you for having me on this panel. I'm so excited, and I have to f- forewarn everybody that I'm kind of like that. Uh, annoying kid in the class that's like wants to have a contrarian opinion so i i, I apologize in advance go for it i want to hear it that way but two things strike me about 2021 that i think are worth bringing up one is i don't think we quite know what's gonna be the new normal after the pandemic is it gonna be like after 1918 and 1919 when they had this big pandemic then what followed was the roaring 20s like the most extroverted decade of the century you know where people just wanted to go out and party and do things and be in public and communal spaces so is that gonna happen or are people gonna like keep some of the shifts in viewing and habits that they've acquired over the pandemic so that's one big question And the other problem that I see for independent films and films in general is that I personally believe we're coming off the weakest decade in terms of cinema since cinema has started in terms of the quality of feature films and and their ability to change people's lives and have insights. And I think that young people are no longer going to the cinema and like, oh my God, that movie changed my life. That movie affected me so profoundly. I think it's been a, a... Uh, just a weaker decade in terms of cinema. And I think that gives us something to overcome. Whereas like podcasts like yours have been on the rise during the last decade or series have been on the rise in terms of quality in the last decade or something like even like food, you know, restaurants, celebrity chefs, innovative fusions. It's it's been, and nobody's thinking that restaurants are going to go away, but people are really afraid that movie theaters might go away and why. So I I think it's worth just, adding that to the discussion. I think one of the reasons why it's been such a cumbersome decade, and you're right, but one of the biggest reasons is because all the power has gone to the distributors. The distributors are now telling everybody what to make. It used to be the other way around. We used to go out and make a great film and there was a pathway for it. Now, because of the digital landscape and because it's it's become a lot harder to monetize and, and be lucrative with these films, it's all become volume driven. So they're just, I mean, I sit with buyers that open a catalog and point to a crappy looking B movie and literally say, make me that, that made money, make me that. So they circulate these lists of actors they want, the types of movies, and everybody's trying to f- basically recreate the same formulaic piece of garbage. Um, and as less and less money is being made on the movies because of digital distribution, the budgets of the movies are getting less. So you're seeing the same formulaic movie but for less money. So yeah, I agree. I think more of the power and I'm hoping the pandemic will actually shift the power back to the content creator most, more so than the distributor. Um, because I agree, it's, it's been a dismal few years for, for films. And I think there's another big, uh, see, it's like we can talk about distribution, but the reality is all the different phases of the process then affect something like distribution. But, you know, when I started out my career, there was this phenomenon of, you know, you, you would read scripts, like when I was reading scripts for Paramount Classics and Paramount Vantage, it's like Susan Sarandon is, is attached to this. And it was kind of the business practice at that point to like attach an actor. And the thought was, well, it doesn't cost the actor that much to be attached. And then you'd maybe meet with Susan Sarandon and she'd have ideas and the script would get better and there would be a creative process that would be evolved. But now 
the agents and managers have put that on ice because they realized at some point that, you know, if Susan Sarandon attaches herself to a film and it doesn't get made, that diminishes her value in the marketplace. And so then now you're looking at a world where you have to raise the money before you can make the offer, whereas, you know, the development used to be a little bit different. So I think that's had a hit on the I certainly don't think it's that there's less creative people or less brilliant people wanting well, to make other, films. The other thing you have to take into consideration, though, is, you know, obviously distribution has gone digital, but so is filmmaking. And so filmmaking's become much more tangible. So there's a lot more films being made now than there were even like 10, 15 years ago. You know, back in the day, not everybody could make a film. Now anybody with a smartphone can make a film. So anybody with an idea and a camera thinks they're Spielberg and they're out there flooding the market with these little movies. So yeah, it's forced talent to be a lot more selective and other talent to be a lot less selective. So, but yeah, I mean, that's just the digital landscape, be it distribution or the filmmaking process itself, it's, it's completely changed the game. There are still parts of that landscape that are uh, largely unchanged. Like you can still attach early without pay or plays or money if you have the right casting director. But the only way you can get the right casting director is to actually get people to is either have a pre-existing relationship or pay them lots and lots of money, relatively speaking, and, or uh, possibly both. Um, like we've got a couple of names attached that we didn't have to pay up front for a couple of projects because we worked with a really high-end casting director, but we had to pay them a lot for the project. So it can still work in more of the old way. You just have to find a, you just have to navigate the new uh, gates and dragons at them. Uh, let's, uh, excellent discourse guys. Um, we just want to welcome Linda, she is here. Uh, Linda, if you can introduce yourself real quick, tell us where you're from. Hi. Uh, sorry I was late. I had a little technical challenge going there for a minute. Anyway, uh, I'm Linda Nelson. I'm the, the CEO of uh, Indie Rights. Um, and uh, I'm in downtown Los Angeles. And um, we've not, our business has not been affected ne negatively by. Uh, COVID because we've always operated the company from a live work loft. So, um, and we have two employees that live in studio apartments very close to here. And so we have a little COVID bubble and, um, you know, we've been that way since March. And, uh, but we've watched, what's really interesting is that because there's nothing else to do but watch movies, we've watched our business triple. Wow. That's um, wonderful. Absolutely incredible growth that we've seen and for a lot of for a lot of reasons uh i think when you look at someone like tubi for example uh when fox bought them all of a sudden you know on the uh, uh there's a big tubi banner on the front of the sports desk on, you know when sports central's on so i know they've like tripled you know their their business and so um you know we and the fact that that um, everyone is counting pennies. Uh, we, we see everyone moving. Everyone's moving to Avon. I mean, we have just seen Avon explode. I mean, even Peacock's Avon and Hulu. But, but uh, we're, we're seeing hardly any business at all on TVOD. But we are saying, seeing huge business on Avon and SVOD. Absolutely. Well, let's talk about Avon a little bit because the main problem that we have with Avon is that... They're, 
active. Okay, we have a lot of viewers, but we have lack of advertisers. And the CPMs are going really lower and lower and lower. I've been hearing about $1 CPM. So for every thousand views, a CPM is, is cost per thousand. Uh, um, and it's the measure that you, you do. In order right. To We're adjust. seeing between nine and $11. Right. On but, all of our AVOD channels. Our, right. You know, the big channels, Pluto and, and uh, you know, Tubi and... But some, some advertisers are taking advantage of it and they're going down on the CPMs. And I've seen CPMs going from five, four, even I've seen CPMs of one. Uh, well, that's, that's what COVID had its impact on AVOD is a lot of advertisers put their business on ice or pulled back because they were just nervous about spending money because nobody knew what the future held. Um, but I, I don't know. I agree. I think it's starting to bounce back a little bit. Tubi especially is like changed. Tubi's the huge. Especially, especially now they're, they're, uh, uh, they're expanding in a foreign territories too, which, you know, we in the United States, we have tunnel vision because all we know about is what, you know, we have everything. We have strong TV. We have strong digital. We, we even still have DVD. Um, other parts of the world, the digital, uh, digital platforms and landscape has, it's either in its infancy or it doesn't exist in a lot of places. So now that Tubi is going into like Latin America and France and Japan and and these other foreign territories, it's going to really boost the global digital market, which is good. But it's picking up fast. I, I have news, for example, Pluto TV has been growing faster in Latin America yeah. than it had ever grew in, uh, in in North America. So so people are picking up, that the, the territories are picking up on, on the ABOD system really fast, and they're monetizing on it as well. Right. Well, what's interesting is we now have all of these cable replacement platforms like Sling and Pluto and now uh, and YouTube TV. I mean, you just don't need a cable box anymore. And, and you know, so as cable just totally disappears, you know, it's, it's all going to be those types of cable replacement platforms where all the revenue is. And the advertiser is going to go where the eyeballs are, you know, so we have to follow the, where the advertisers go. It's just, you know, regular TV's dying. Nobody's going to pull out the TV guide and go, oh, I got to be home on Tuesday night at 9.30 to watch this show. That's done. It's done. Yeah, and, it's a whole new so world. so we're now, the new, the AVOD now is just new TV with ads. It's just like old TV, except yeah. it's whenever you want it. And, and a huge quantity of content, just massive. And, okay. and... I don't know. The, the, the only thing we see that makes a difference is social media currency. You either make your content stand out or it's not going to get seen because there's just too much of it. Absolutely. Um, it just it's, We're getting a lot of uh, questions in the chat and in the Q&A. So if anyone here, while you're not talking, since we have so many people on the panel today, if you have an ability to answer any of those questions by typing, then that is a, a good way to try to answer as many questions as we can and try to give as much insight as possible. Um, yeah, yeah, Sarah, you I'm going to throw the next question I have to Glenn. Yeah. Um, so Glenn, get ready. What advice do you have for filmmakers today to increase their ability to distribute their project? Uh, wow. So kind of depends on, uh, if you're talking about like a finished film and they're, you know, rated to take it out, you know, probably the first step is showing it to your colleagues and friends and family and seeing if you've got anything. Um, getting feedback, getting it to its best possible place. Um, the next step, I think, from there 
is the start is the start you know if it is if if, if the feedback is that it's a festival movie then you know where are you on the calendar in terms of starting to apply to festivals um some films are not you know festival type material so if that's the case um probably the next step is to reach out to people like Ben and Daniel and Jenica and Linda and me and Mark and and start sharing it with people who are um, in touch with the various distributors to see what you have. And if we're all, you know, going gonzo for it and want to make a deal with you, then then um, it's a matter of, you know, making sure that um, you're with one of us or another good player to try to get it in front of distributors' uh, eyes. I think it's um, it's good to have someone who's been there on your side, if you're a first-time filmmaker, to to you know go out into the world. There's a lot of a lot of crooks out there and a lot of um, you know companies that don't don't serve you well. And um, it's I think it's you know probably the best step is to get you know uh, people who have been there on your side to, to help you get out into the world. Glenn, I'd you're like, you're I'd a like producer. Go ahead, sure, And it's really really simple. All you got to do is go on IMDb, pull up. The co any distributor that you're thinking about working with, pick five films that they've been distributing for at least a year and call the producers. It's so simple. And yet it's so hard for us to get people to do that. Believe me, you'll either get a, somebody crying on the phone or you'll get somebody that says, oh, they're doing a great job for us. It's so easy, yet people just don't do that little bit of due diligence and um, it'll, it saves you a lot of heartache. You're totally right, Linda. Um, I still get people uh, asking me for references, which I'm always happy to provide, but generally I tell them to go to IMDb as well. When I was doing more work as a producer's rep and starting out, um, there was a sales agent who isn't around anymore, who when I was calling his references that he actually gave me, I'm pretty sure it was just him uh, doing different voices through different Google <laughs> voice numbers. Oh. So... <laughs> So you're saying he's crafty. That's good. That's what we want, right? I mean, it would be Sounds good like if he turned up any sales. But the, uh, <laughs> yeah. I, I would also add that getting it to people, like Glenn was saying, you want to send it to people to get it seen. I think that kind of a big hurdle I've found with newer filmmakers is um, having key art that's um, interesting enough for somebody to actually click on the link and watch. Because if you have a trailer or you have a good poster or at least an idea, or honestly, if you have no idea, a different poster that would be good for your film, plus your title, like having the information visual and easy also is the step to getting it seen by somebody in the first place. Because we can all ask our moms and dads and uncles to watch our movie and they will give us two hours of their life. But I find that it's actually been hard to get professional strangers to actually click and get through to that next spot after the first honestly 10 minutes you've probably lost somebody so if you have an interesting part of your movie that's buried in it it would be smart to consider a different timeline or artistic decision to put it in the first 10 minutes because I think that first 10 minutes is like a poster I'm going to get to the next part and then I'm invested and I'm interested in everything but I do think representing your work is um something a lot of filmmakers would be learning on their, still their second or third movie, getting it to a distributor. But that's what the distributor is gonna turn around and do with it right away. Like that's the first step of getting it to where we want it to go before it can go out to the audience, to the marketplace. 
Yeah, we I, marketing I, materials though. Like yeah. sorry to interrupt, but I mean like the trailer and key art, obviously a distributor is gonna do that on your behalf once they've gotten in the mix on your film. But even to get a sales agent's attention, I can't tell you how often filmmakers send me something with like a two and a half, three minute trailer. I can't get through the trailer. Why would I have any motivation to even look at the film? You know, it's, uh, I, I can't tell you how often it goes through my head. I, I watch something, I go, do they not watch movies? Do they not watch trailers? <laughs> like go on YouTube and watch trailers of films that are similar thematically, tonally, you know, whatever, and emulate that. You know, so, but you're exactly right about the marketing materials, the key art, the trailer, and you're never going to do it as, as good or as calculated as a distributor probably will, but you can still take steps on your own with, you know, very few means and, and put together proper presentation materials. Totally. Yeah, we, I, we've uh, been using uh, Chris Davidson at the Robot Eye and just me personally, like, I think he did such a better job than I ever could have done making my own poster. And then I use that with everything. And even if that changed eventually, distributor wanted to change it or give me something new, like that's when you also have to take a step back and be like, okay, the distributor knows what actually sells. Maybe it's not like quote, quote unquote as good of a poster, but maybe it will work better. And that's also where you got to kind of step aside as an auteur or whatever you fancy yourself as, as a filmmaker and be ready to, um, Put something out there that sells your movie in the best possible way but you have to get to that point with other stuff that sells your movie the best possible way yeah, that's a breaking thing with distributors too you spend all this time energy and money and and passion making a film and then a distributor might take it and put it out as something totally different so that's that's a that's a bitter pill to swallow but it happens sure ben i think you were gonna uh, actually, Mark covered most of my points there, but uh, going on the uh, mismarketing, it's an absolute epidemic and it does not work in the digital landscape at all. But I've had many distributors who try to sell a, a fictional example of a uh, memento style thriller as a uh, action packed uh cartel story just because it happened to have a cartel guy in it and because of that the movie started at like an eight on imdb and then ended up around three within two weeks of release and it's not even because it's a bad movie it's just because they felt bait and switch right mm -hmm. i'm actually gonna i'm actually gonna place a little bit of the blame on this whole epidemic on Redbox because they really got people creating this schlocky key art with the idea of pitching Redbox, and a lot of it is just totally misrepresentation. So maybe more important, I, yeah, sorry, go for it. I know a guy that releases 56 movies a month or something like that is a ridiculous amount, and all he has is a amazing artwork and incredible trailers. And then you see the movie, and the movies are really, really not that good as, as that. So yeah, there, there are people that do this for a living, uh, what we're talking about. Well, I think what you're all, we all seem to be in agreement, like it's unfair to mess with the consumer, that you want to put out something a certain way. Um, I do think that there are tiers. There is what you want to put out to the distributor or to get a sales rep or a producer's rep or to get a person to be on your side from the industry. And then it is going to take a completely different turn to when you go out to the market. There is that that happens, and I think that that's confusing to filmmakers that it might be the same thing as what you guys are, we're all agreeing is a problem. <laughs> um, but I do think when you're uh, putting out your film, 
you have to be malleable and want to go in a certain direction and you want to trust your distributor. And it goes to exactly what Linda said is calling filmmakers and asking them because you can avoid most of this by talking to five filmmakers that can tell you, I'm unhappy with this, but I'm happy that I can trust them. And they knew how to market my movie and they believed in me as an artist and a brand and they wanted the movie for legitimate reasons. <laughs> so there's all of those things that due diligence really will take us away from that danger that we all agree is a problem. There's a big disconnect. I'll, I'll make a, Sorry, go I'll, ahead. Lena. I was gonna say there's a, there's a, I just, People need to also understand there's a huge difference between a theatrical poster and a VOD poster. Well, a lot of times people will send us a film and they've made this gorgeous poster because they're in a film festival, right? And then when you go to film festivals, you usually bring a theatrical poster with you. And uh, then that's what they submit to us as the poster for VOD. Well, the problem is that if you make that poster one inch tall, you can't you can't see any of the detail. So the the thing with VOD po posters, you need big striking images because your poster basically has to be clickbait. Hopefully, it says something about your movie, but it must must be something as people are flicking through those carousels on their remote it's got to grab and if it you know i see people that have two little tiny people out on the beach and you can't even tell whether they're ants or birds or people right no that doesn't work for a vod poster it may make a gorgeous theatrical poster but it isn't going to work for vod so we i would say more than I would say about 60 to 70% of the posters that are submitted to us when people submit films, we have to change. Sometimes it's just a matter of saying, no, make your poster one inch tall and you'll understand why we need you to change it. And then a lot of times they'll come back to us with something good. And then otherwise, if they're it's still bad, then we have like a list of three or four different people that we can recommend, you know, to do that we know will do a good job on the poster. So. And the same with same with trailers. Uh, a tra just because you can make a good film doesn't mean you can make a good trailer. Uh, for some reason, filmmakers like to dwell on moments, and you you can take the time to dwell on moments in your movie, but you really can't in a trailer. Trailers need to move, and and you know so those are the biggest you know problems that we have with trailers and posters, and those two things are so critical because people. People, if they start watching, you know, a trailer and they don't like it, they, they, your movie's never even going to get a chance to be seen. So it's they're, they just can't emphasize how important they are. Mark, did you have something to add? Yeah, I mean, kind of an expansion of that. I was going to say there's a big disconnect between the creative and the business. The you know, creatively, I think most filmmakers have a pretty clear vision. They all know what they want to do, but very few of them really know what they have to do, and that's the distribution side. So, you know, uh, in the broad scope of the whole thing is like the people who find that graceful middle ground are the people who are going to make a career out of it. Everybody else is just going to have a really expensive hobby. So how do you find that graceful middle ground as filmmakers need to educate themselves about how distribution works. They need to go to markets. They need to talk to sales agents and distributors before they make their movie, not after. Um, there's film markets. I mean, even now, especially they're more tangible than ever more accessible than ever because they're online. Uh, there's film markets every month that people can very economically sign up for and network and get 
a bit of education about the realities of the business. Yeah, it's great, great advice. Um, okay, Daniel, question for you. Mm-hmm. How do you prepare filmmakers for the fact that distribution is a long process and a lot of people, or most people don't make money on their investment? Oh my God, the picture is bleak. <laughs> the picture is bleak right now. Uh, uh, I'm going to say that they need to prepare themselves. I mean, like uh, we are in the business of distribution and we need to uh, bring the goods. But if a filmmaker is not ready to present the problems that we are having right now, which is um, most new movies don't make any money back. Okay. And we're talking a lot about AVOD. AVOD is one of the examples in which library is king and the extra money comes along. But when you have a huge negative pickup uh, uh, that you need to uh, pick up with, uh, with advertising, it's really hard to do. Uh, 10 years ago, uh, a horror movie in, uh, any horror movie in, in the UK will fetch $50,000. Right now, you're lucky if you get $3,000, $2,000, maybe $1,000 on, on, on an NG, on an, in a movie. It's really hard to make money right now. So, so if you're a filmmaker, you need to understand that this is the picture. And until the uh, market completely changes and shifts and becomes something different, the, the, diff- the, the different market, the new market that we're going to have pretty soon, uh, we are still on the, on, the, on the lookout. We don't know where the money is right now. It's, it's, that's the reality of it. Who wants to tag on? I, go ahead, first. I can say a story about this if you want. If you want. Sure, Hunter. Yeah, absolutely. So one of uh, one of the investors in uh, uh, my film was an executive who has some experience in distribution work, who worked for Universal. And last year around this time, uh, a new producing partner uh, and myself had a chance to have lunch with him on the Universal lot. And I was really, really worried about what he was going to say because the investors have not received all their funds back from my film yet. You know, we get our statements, we keep them updated, we, you know. And so I was kind of in my, in my brain, I was like, or body, I was like shaking a little bit to have this meeting with him, you know. And when I sat down with him and talked to him about the film, he's like, oh, Hunter, I'm very optimistic because over 20 years, I feel very confident about this. And I think that's one thing. It's like, if you have educated investors that kind of know the landscape and like in his mind, the picture for our film was way better than even in my own mind, you know, because he's seen it really long term and has background and experience with what that is. So I think it's very, very important to be clear with your investors because it's an issue of conscience and it's a, sometimes a, a legal issue too. But then as a filmmaker, you know, it, it comes down to an issue of like faith and why are you doing this? And in, in, in some ways, if you're gonna be a filmmaker at all, I feel like you have to either have some kind of radical faith in what you're doing to, uh, because otherwise it's, it's something irrational is gonna get you to the finish line. Because if you look at the, if you look at the like the logic or the landscape and you only make decisions based on that, I guess some people can navigate that with certain genre movies or that are very smart and, and leverage certain things and to get, but I mean, I, I think that there is a place for, it, it, there's an irrational element to being a filmmaker and you kind of have to have some weird faith and rely on that or else you're not gonna, you're not gonna make it because it's a long arduous process and it doesn't make sense a lot of times, so. So I don't know. I, don't, I doubt that's a comfort to anybody, but I think you really have to have that. I'm curious what everybody thinks. I mean, when when 
I have filmmakers that say, oh, my, my investors are going to be so upset. This is so little money. You know, uh, one, I always remind them that an investment is not a loan uh, and that investing in film, it's one of the riskiest investments you can make and your investors should not go into an investment in film assuming that they're going to make a profit. And, uh, you know, if you you should, you know, everybody should be in, you know, honest with their investors when they take their money, make sure they understand that. And then second of all, I'm curious what you all think is a reasonable amount of time to make back your, your investment. I'll make a couple of quick I, points on that. I tell people, you know, three to five years. Yeah. I'll make hey, real quick, let me just interject. Uh, in the Q&A, there's also so a bunch of questions too. Some people have been using chat. Some people have been using Q&A. And so we will get to not some talking. of the Q&A. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, there's yeah. a ton. Anyway, back to you and then to back to you, Mark, and then to Jenica. Uh, yeah, so, so um, you know, a couple things. First of all, I don't think it's that filmmakers are misleading investors. Well, at least not intentionally. I think most of them do just because they don't really understand how the business works. So everything's kind of just rooted in ideals. Um, but I look at it two ways. First of all, two points. It's one of the best tax write-offs. So that's what I pitch to investors. Um, I, you know, I reverse engineer content a little bit differently than I think a lot of people have the ability to. So I can make it slightly more risk averse, um, but there's tax incentives. Um, and I'm not talking about regional. I'm talking about actual tax benefits to it. Uh, the other thing I've discovered over the years of making, producing, and distributing films is that you don't necessarily have to hit a home run. As long as there is money trickling in at least somewhat consistently, most people are happy. It's when they see nothing, that's when people get rubbed wrong. All right, I work with a lot of first time filmmakers over the last decade after I met Glenn Reynolds of Circus like, like Road Films. They, Glenn sat with me three different times to go over the education before we even moved forward. And don't ask that of him. He should not do that. Um, I just think that there was a lot I had to ask and a lot I had to understand. And then I came to that. It was my second bigger film. And I came to that conclusion that this was my master's program. Like you go to film school and then you leave film school and you make movies, but you're not done with your education. And if we can explain and get it out there to filmmakers that the first time you distribute, it is 100% educational activity. You have to have a film to take to a distributor, to test for an audience, to shop for representatives, to go to distribution, to deliver the actual like content, which I think we forget is really, really hard to do deliverables for most people because little tiny technical snags and updates and everything, it could make it a ridiculous amount of time. And then you want to go through the marketing conversations and then you make it to market and then you have to learn PR. It's an entire master's program to your film program. And there's no way that we're going to bridge that gap with a bunch of filmmakers that are going, I take this to a film festival and then somebody buys it because that's just not going to happen for most people and if it does it's not going to happen for every movie so you might just be delaying your master's program until your third or fourth film but either way you have to get your master's your hollywood masters in order to understand what you're doing as a filmmaker and you can't even figure out your brand and the story you're going to put out the the ip like expansion or any of those things aren't even an option until you understand um how to be close to first dollar and have that money trickle in and it not like destroy your life that you didn't have a big check is 
having the development through to the distribution arm already discussed and decided before your goal setting and putting in money to make a movie. And you, if you don't understand the entire pipeline, then you're not really prepared, but it's not a bad thing. You're just being like accepted into the program. That's all. You just have to make a movie to get accepted. <laughs> and then once you're there, it costs you as much as it would cost you a master's degree. And that's so sad to say, but once you're to the other side of it, you have these people in your corner. You can go back to Ben, you can go back to Glenn and Linda and you can say, great for my next movie, what can I do better? And I'm ready to go. It doesn't mean that they're picking a B movie out of a catalog all the time. It definitely means this is what you did last time that I wish we could got like get you a little bit different experience. So now that you have the education, let's let's do a real career. You know, you don't make tons of money until you're publishing as a doctor. It takes a long time till you're at that level where you're publishing and doing all of that stuff. So we just have a different idea of what it looks like because of false representation in media about what movies are like. That oh, makes total sense. Thank you. We have people in the comments saying amen. So thank you. <laughs> I, I think also, uh, in the last couple of years, there's been a huge um, amount of misinformation out there about self-distribution. And it's one of my biggest pet peeves right now. When somebody comes to me and say, says, I can put my own film up on Amazon. Why should I pay you 20%? <laughs> you know, it, it, it's, it's amazing how much misinformation there is out, out there. And as far as I'm concerned, DIY is the absolute last thing in the world that anyone should consider. And it's, and, and actually it's getting, the situation is getting worse because you know, really now, I guess you might you might get your film up on Amazon, but there's very little else that you can do right now. Uh, the whole kind of gatekeeper thing is really kind of moving back into place because, you know, like you're not going to get your film on IMDb TV or you're not going to get your film up on uh, on uh, Pluto or Peacock. It's just not going to happen without it. I think something maybe Linda too to to be aware of is like just establishing relationships relationships long term is going to be beneficial for you, or at least finding out who you don't want to work with and then like getting a a better person to work with, a better company to work with. Like you're going to have to go through that process eventually if you plan on being a filmmaker long term. So like doing everything yourself all the time, although that might actually work better in the short term for one specific project. It's probably not going to be your best bet long term. Cause you're going to have to get your beak wet and all those other, those other various sort of horizontally integrated things that you have to do to be able to distribute a movie anyway and make a movie and do a next project and all that stuff. That's I all see there's some questions, uh, several yes. questions in so, there about, should we use an aggregator? Should we go DIY? And, you know, so I think that's uh, a, Linda, that you're, you're, so, you're so right about DIY. I mean, I get people all the time who are, they tell me they're going to do their own form. I'm like, it took me five years to build my global network and I'm a networking machine. You know what I mean? Like I get people all the time who are like, can you introduce me to Tubi? Can you introduce me to Netflix? Like these companies don't want to deal with one-off producers and projects. Right. These companies want to deal with people they know and they want, they want, deal they want a pipeline of content. They want master services agreements. They don't want your great indie movie. Right. A person with 30 movies has much more leverage than anyone else out there. And it is very important because positioning and, and placement is everything on these platforms. Remember, you, you're, you're, you're 
competing with 10,000 films out there. And, and it, it really matters what we do. Uh, uh, we make a difference. Sure. Did Mark just do a mic drop on us? Is that I think what just he did. Happened? I think he was just like, he had wow. that nugget of knowledge. Done. done. Like, I'm, I'm out. I'm All out. Right, he's back. <laughs> now he's back. I do want to get to some of these questions that we have in the Q&A box. Um, I know we have Mark here asking, what are a few ways to distribute and get sponsors to help too? What about foreign rights? Um, he, we did a few deals back in the 80s and 90s, but not recently. Ben, do you have anything to say about that? Uh... Yeah, the, there's a little bit of a difference between a distributor and a sales agent. And in order to get the uh, foreign distributors, the most practical way to do it these days is through an established sales agent like Mark. Um, or uh, we do a little bit of that at Muni, but we're much stronger in North American distribution there. Um, hey, thanks for the plug. <laughs> <laughs> About that, Mark, I mean, now that we're seeing all of these uh, channels going global, as you had mentioned, like Tubi and all of these things, don't you think a lot of sales agents are becoming distributors uh, and yeah, starting to, you know, becoming aggregators? Um, well, I, I don't know. I mean, to be an aggregator is just someone you pay to put your film up on a platform right. and collect your money for you, which, which. I don't think is a very good idea, but you know, some people use aggregators, you know, for that uh, purpose. Uh, aggregate aggregators don't go to markets and do any foreign sales, so you know, you're missing out on a lot of that. Uh, but but I'm seeing a lot of my sales agent friends um, really getting into the distribution business. They're establishing relationships with platforms like Tubi and Amazon, and those are global. So. It used to be that you would get a U.S. distributor and then you would get a foreign sales agent. And we had to do that because if the foreign sales agent didn't go to Cannes, there was no way for him to show your movie to anybody. You had to be there and he would play you a DVD or give you a screener. But now we, none of that's necessary. We can use online screeners everywhere. So I think the whole nature of the business is in flux and really, really changing right now. Let's so Linda, I get, Linda you oh. let me let me break in real quick Sarah Linda you're very right it's and it's a very complicated world um one thing that we haven't talked about at all is like we've been mainly focusing on features and like there's other types of content obviously there's episodic stuff there's I don't know if you can make any money off of short films a lot of people are asking that um does anyone have a take on that about what what you would do if you were a filmmaker today starting a project would you do a feature or would you do some other type of uh type of series feature. or something like that you I, do a feature still in okay anyone else what's that about? ben what's that i'd license an ip and make a tv show interesting okay with a, with a feature you have a much clearer path even though it's still an uphill battle there is a clear path to monetize a feature with a show it's it's more so on spec and more often than not people try to readapt uh adapt a show into something else after the fact to try to salvage the effort um you know the there's a lot of myths involved in developing tv uh, my partner and i have been very aggressive about it recently um and it's you know we've learned through trial and error but it you know you can make a movie if you make a great movie that's going to fit well into the market it'll find its way <laughs> like that tv it's much more relationship driven 
especially now as everything's going more toward uh, the streaming platforms as opposed to the networks, the same thing's happening to TV that happened to movies. It's all getting much lower budget and it's becoming more volume driven. So like I have a TV project right now. We developed it as short form. That's the other thing. You have to be adaptable. We developed a short form series. Now we're adapting it to traditional format because one of the streamers wants it, but the streamer is only going to pay us enough per episode to basically cover half our budget, especially with COVID. So now I have to take that and go out and try to do foreign TV deals to supplement my budget. But I got a TV show that's more or less a go. So it's a win, but it's nothing like it used to be. I agree with Ben. I would license like a book series and make a feature and with the idea of creating multiple or moving into a series after the feature because I feel like I'd want to continue a decade of investing in a world that's already been built by an author and a writer who really like has a handle of what they're doing and uh, proved themselves over a series so that you know that you can take a portion of that and you already have a fan base and you have other areas you can move into with the author. I would agree with that as a, as a, as a, if you're just starting out, I think a film is a little bit more tangible to break into. Well, I would so, even say right. if you're just starting out, I, 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 I think you should go make some shorts. If you're not technically a creative, oh, no. Well, hold on, Linda, hold on. If you're not ready, technically, <laughs> to make a film, if you're not ready yet to make a film, if you haven't, if you've never made any piece of content ever, and you've just watched movies and you think, oh, I could do that, you should get a camera and go out and make shorts with your friends that don't cost anything to see, you know, to figure it out. I mean, you have to go to school a little bit before you go to your dentist and friends and say, give me $100,000 to make a movie. That's what the problem is. There's everybody goes out and makes these movies without knowing how to make a movie. Glenn, if your short's really good, should you expect to be able to make money on it? Yeah. The no. answer is no, right? No. no. So you want to make that, so be, but don't expect to be able to make yeah, money on a short in a almost any situation. Yeah, You're doing it so you can level up. Exactly. exactly. We have $10,000 movies that make $10,000 a month. How many? Okay. A lot or just a few? Some. Okay. 10. By people that made it as the first thing that they made, you think, Linda? Some, some of them, yes. Okay. Okay. Absolutely. There's... I don't know. You can't compare making a short to a feature. There is no comparison to the level of commitment and the amount of work. You know, you know if you want to make a couple of shorts, but I see people make 10, 15, 20 shorts. Why? I mean, you, if... If we'll what you want is to make movies, you need to jump off the cliff and do it. And you can make you can make a good movie. You can make a good movie for nothing. You can. All right, guys. I it is. An, oh. I'm sorry. I think there's get another the friends caveat. Friends, have here. a camera and do it. <laughs> I think there's another caveat here, which is that you have to be honest with yourself also about your material. It kind of reminds me of that Robin Williams line from Dead Again, where the guy's asking him if he should quit smoking or not. And Robin Williams says, figure out if you're a smoker and be that. Because some material is really, it's the material determines some of it too, in terms of is this material really right for a series or is it right for a feature? And I think on Linda's point about shorts, I think some filmmakers really want to make a feature film and then they kind of force it into being some eight to 10 minute preview of a feature film. And it doesn't feel like a very good short film because it's not really designed for that or meant for that. And so I think that's a danger when you're making that 
discussion. And I did want to say one thing about the splitting of the rights because I have a little experience with that. And there is a something to be careful about as a filmmaker when you split the rights. And like in our film, we still haven't, uh, we have a, a sales agent specifically for UK and Ireland that's still trying to put something together for that, even though our star is the biggest star in the UK. And so there's an E and O issue with this because like once you sign with your main distributor your errors and emission insurance gets latched on to this the big deal that you have and then if a couple years later you sell a different territory through a different distributor just there there may be an insurance issue so i sometimes you have to just trust the person selling your film to sell it all around the world Okay, guys, I'm going to take a quick moment. We're going to get ready for our giveaway. We've been talking about so much great stuff, but I want to make sure we get this in. So for everybody who's tuning in and listening, panelists, unfortunately, you can't win. Um, if you want to go to the shoots.video page, the shoots.video page, and if you can tell us in the chat box who displays first in Seattle, you will win our giveaway, our B&H gift card. So go to the shoots.video page, go to Seattle, tell us who displays first, Put it in the chat box. You will be our winner. And I'm not calling out winners because once again, I messed it up the first time. So I will not <laughs> be calling the winners today. So go ahead and throw that in there. Am I the only one who doesn't understand the question? So if you go to the shoots.video <laughs> shoots video website. Yeah, about Seattle. What's the question? What's you, the who, who, who displays we first? We have an answer. You displays see. by um, city, so you can go by city and look to see what companies are in which city. Oh, got it. Okay. Mike, Michael Barnard's got it. Michael Barnard, former uh, Fresno resident, now an LA resident. He's got it at Aoni Isa. Isa. I forget how he says his name, but a great dude up uh, in Seattle way that I've worked with on uh, doing music videos and car commercials. So yeah, Michael Barnard's got the cash. He wins 50 bucks from B&H. So you can get Congratulations. some uh, yeah, Congratulations. SD cards or a microphone or something fun to do that with. Well, we cool. always end our um, our videos here with everyone going around, just saying their name one more time and where we can find you on social media. So if anyone wants to connect or check out your website, they can go ahead and do that. Um, so Ben, I'll start with you, your name and your social or website, whatever you want to say. Thanks. Um, yeah, my name's Ben Yemi, and the two places to find me are uh, at Mutiny Picks on all the social or at the Gorilla Rep on all the social and mutinypictures.com and the Gorilla Rep.com. Very cool. Thanks for being here. Hunter. Oh, you're on mute. Sorry about that. Okay. Uh, so my name's Hunter. Uh, I'm with FateLink, and you can see check out. I guess the best place is our YouTube page. You can check out the trailer for our film. So it's go to YouTube and then uh, FateLink. Very cool. Thanks for being here tonight. Thank you so much. Of course, Daniel. Oh, I can be found. Uh, um, I have a new business. It's a new ABOD, by the way. <laughs> Uh, that uh, handles LGBTQ content. So if you have content like that, you can you can send it to me. Uh, it's Daniel at gethappyhappi.tv. Very cool. And you guys can always throw your um, socials and everything in the chat box as well so people can find you there. Um, Justin, we're going to skip over you for a moment. You were ah! next in my little box. No, go ahead. Promote yourself. 
Hey, uh, we got a movie coming out on the 22nd on Amazon through Jenica and Little Sister, and that's called Brick Madness. And if you guys want to watch it, that would be awesome. It's super funny and great, and I'm in it, and I'm not even the best part. Um, hopefully not by a long stretch. And uh, and Shoot Stop Video is is the reason we are doing all this. And we could obviously go like another hour because everyone had a lot Easily. of important things to say and really wanted to get it out there. Thank you. Jenica. Hi, I'm Jenica Schwartzman with Little Sister Entertainment, Little Sister ENT, which is short for entertainment. So if you go to littlesisterent.com or at littlesisterent on social, you'll find us. And I'm very responsive because I'm the face of all of it. So I will write you back. Very cool. Mark? Mark Klebanoff from Odyssey Motion Pictures in LA. I put my website on there. Um, if you want to see some of my work, you can go on odysseymotionpictures.com. Also, I just produced and recently released a movie, a crime drama called Stakeout. Uh, it's on Tubi and Prime and everywhere else. Stars Tom Berenger and Jeremy Sumter. And I just last week released a movie that I EP'd called Girl Lost, A Hollywood Story. It's the second installment of the Girl Lost series. And just like the first film, it's defying all the odds. It's on Amazon Prime. So you can go check that out as well. Awesome. Glenn. Glenn Reynolds, Circus Road Films. Probably the best way to find me is just go to my website. It's circusroadfilms.com. All my social and my email are on there. Awesome. Oh. That it? Is that everyone? No, we still have Linda. Linda. Hi, Linda Nelson. The company's Indie Rights. You can search for it on any social and it'll come up. And uh, if you have a film that you'd like us to consider, IndieRights.com is our website, and uh, there's a submission form, and uh, we love looking at films from anybody and everybody. Uh, we don't have any, we're not genre-specific genre at all. And uh, uh, this has been great. Thanks. I of course. Sorry, uh, Mark, I don't think you, maybe you didn't put your stuff in the chat. If you could throw that on there, people are asking for it. Yeah, sure, I'll do it again. Yeah, yeah, they think you're awesome. Thank you. Well, you guys were all awesome. Thank you so much for being here and sharing all of your knowledge. This was a, a subject and topic I didn't know a lot about. It's not a world I come from. Um, but thank you. Truly, thank you for being here. And I hope you all have a happy holiday. And to all of our viewers, happy holidays. I guess we'll see you after Christmas or maybe in the new year. I don't know. i have to look at my calendar. But thank you. And as always, I'm Sarah Marintz at sarahmarintz.com. Sarah Marintz on all the socials. And we will see you guys next time. Thanks. Thank you so much. Bye, guys. Bye. Happy holidays. You might be looking at Shoot Stop Video and thinking, so how does this all work? Is this about A, setting up the whole crew for me, B, just giving me options and having me handle it, or C, something in between? Well, it's D, all of the above. To put it simply, we're here to help you in any way that we can to get the crew and talent you need for your next production. We believe that every level of video production can benefit from a well-maintained list of qualified crew members for every position. This goes for pre-pro, on set, and for post. Every project is different, so if you need a producer to help manage the decision-making process, then we can totally do that. If you're already a producer and want to build your own crew from scratch, then go for it. We're here to make your next production a success. And if you are crew or talent looking for producers that want you, then you've come to the right place. Sign up now, and also leave a referral for any solid people that you know that are already on here. Thank you for considering Shoot Stop Video, and happy shooting!